Why have I come to Axis Church? Uh, what, a, what an introduction. I didn't know that song was going to be played. But um, I asked, what, what's the offering song before I get up? And they said, you'll find out. <laughs> so why did I become a Wesleyan? <coughs> because I serve Christ and I served him through the Baptist denomination and things were going great for me in that space. Let me tell you, I didn't have to run away from anything. I think the church that I was leading was going really, really well. Uh, for eight years I was there and the projection was kind of just kept climbing or growing in all areas of church life, financially, numerically, spiritually. So things were great. I think I had a bright future within the Baptist denomination. The state leader this year asked me to go to the UK with him on a research trip. I don't think he asked many people that, but he asked me. And when I announced to them that I was leaving and going to a different denomination, they're like, why, John? We could have given you opportunities within our branch. You didn't need to go anywhere. So why did I? Why have I become a Wesleyan? Well, what you need to understand about me is this is so big in my life that this was actually never a capital B. I was always a small B Baptist. I was. And sorry if this disappoints anyone here, but I'll also only ever be a small W Wesleyan. And it's because Christ is so big for me that these things actually are flexible. And I can serve Christ here and I could serve Christ there too. Now, does that mean I'll dishonour the Wesleyan way? Well, not intentionally. Please let me know if I do. Because I think if we can't honour the denomination we're in, then we're in the wrong denomination. So I come with full intention to honour this denomination. I don't want to be an agitator. I don't want to um, in any way cause disunity in the body of Christ. Because unity matters so much to the heart of God. And that's what I'd like us to think about over my first couple of months here. As we start a new season together, as you get to know me and I get to know you, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just lay down a foundation of unity, to understand together some biblical principles that will help us arrive there. So I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians 4 in your Bibles if you've got one. And we're going to be over these next couple of months looking at this idea of life together. Life together. Because Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. It's going to self-destruct so the echo of Jesus that rolls down to us here at Access Church this morning is we will only ever reach our full God potential if we do it together, if we stand united, if we are one. Now, I've been around long enough to know that people get hurt in churches. There's casualties. Oh, I hate it when it happens, but it happens. And there's potential, even as we begin life together, in me not really knowing this context well and you not knowing me well, for misunderstandings to occur. And I reckon we are best to anticipate that 
rather than be surprised when it happens. And therefore, building some biblical principles that can help us so that we can be a God-honoring and a people-honoring community. So, before trouble strikes, before disunity hits us, let's plan for unity by taking heed to God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm reading this morning from verse 1, which says this. Therefore, now whenever you see therefore in the Bible, ask what it's there for, right? Therefore, so it's going back to chapter 3 and all that's been spoken of there, which winds up with this climax of God getting glory in the church through all generations. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Be humble and gentle whenever you're in the church building. Sorry, my mistake. That was the Baptist translation. I've left that behind. Be humble and gentle whenever you're in the mood. No, it doesn't say that either. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been calling to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. And so God, our Father, we happen to believe these words we've just read are from you. And we ask, therefore, Holy Spirit, you would open them to us. You would enlighten our minds and our hearts, our ears to hear this morning. May we be changed because we've engaged with the truth of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The big idea for us to think about today as we do life together, we must guard unity. You notice it in verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. I want you in particular to notice three words, make every effort. Spare nothing in terms of the energy you give to maintaining Unity. Be super diligent about it. Don't be complacent. Guard the unity of the spirit like a, a magpie guards a nest in spring. You've seen that, right? When, when you go near that nest, you're going to know about it. Why? Because that magpie is guarding something they consider valuable. If we consider unity valuable, we will guard it. Keep a watch for anything that comes against unity and eliminate it. Come down on it like a ton of bricks because unity matters to the heart of God. A unified church is a beautiful church, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, Johnny. You're not telling me anything I don't know. Well, easier said than done, isn't it? So if we all know it, if we all know that, that, that the best idea is to work together... Why do we find it such a challenge? We'll get to that in a moment. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, let's make a few points from our reading this morning 
Ephesians chapter 4. I only have three points. You realize preachers can only count to three, right? Why, why does our scripture inform us? What does it inform us about being guardians of unity? We guard unity by getting ourselves sorted out. Verse 2. It's in our reading in verse 2. The, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Ephesus, before getting around to talking about unity as a body, what we do corporately when we come together, he talks about you as a person, as an individual. Get yourself sorted as a starting point to unity. I'm going to say right out of the blocks here that when you're ready to unload with a level 5 spaz attack, it's a really, really, really good idea to just pause for a moment. And before Jono unloads on Gary, just for Jono to step back and go, hang on, Jono, what part of this is you? What part of this is your problem? And before I go pointing the finger at them, I point the finger here. And I'm asking, and I examine my own heart before God about what part of this do I need to own? What part of the issue is here? And it's less about there. Before I give Barry a piece of my mind, cool your jets, John. I go through a self-analysis and work out what part of the scenario is me. Unity gets kick-started by me looking at me. Unity gets kick-started by you looking at you. It's largely my issue much of the time. And the wisdom of Jesus speaks directly into this space, doesn't it? Where he goes, I haven't failed to notice, I, I detected this wasn't being used before, sorry, Musos. I haven't failed to notice the speck in your brother's eye. Whoops, that's an easy fix. I haven't failed to notice the speck in your brother's eye. That's not an issue. What I haven't also failed to notice is this big log protruding out of your own eye, Jesus says. You're so concerned about the little splinter that he's got going on, you're missing the forest that you've got going on. I think Jesus is warning us that we'll rarely, if ever, get self-analysis right. We are probably, for the most part, unqualified to see the depths of faults and flaws and sinfulness in our own lives. And so we need to be really, really careful about pointing the finger anywhere else. In church, we're often experts at spotting flaws. Everywhere except right here in ourselves. I've got stuff I'm still working on. And so have you. And that's a really good starting point for this whole concept of unity. Ephesians 4 brings out this mindset. Get our own house in order. And that will go a long way towards getting God's house in order. Hence verse 2 is all about me adopting personal characteristics that have me living Christ-like. So that when I work alongside other people, I'm not a nuisance I'm not prickly because I've done the internal work of allowing the Spirit of God to do things in me first. When we allow the Holy Spirit to do this, it'll be an immense help in us walking peacefully in the body of Christ. 
So what are these things? Well, you can see for yourself in verse 2. Humility, gentleness, and patience. We could say patient endurance. Not wiping people out when they make a mistake. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. When it comes to public unity, humility, gentleness, and patience, which we could think of as private attributes, actually play a role. And to enter a crowd and anticipate healthy interactions without first getting those set in place is crazy. Can I say that? We'll blow a church to pieces if we avoid taking note of those. So the key to us being a healthy community as a starting point is the personal work we do before we even arrive. Imagine with me, we were visiting a church in Perth last weekend. And I choose Perth because the furthest point from here, right? So you're not, you're not triggering with a real memory when I say this, hopefully. So we're both visiting this same church in Perth, the other side of the country last week. And I sit there and you sit there. So we both have the same experience. We're sitting side by side. And you walk out saying, that was wonderful. I was so blessed to be there this morning. And I walk out going, that was terrible. That was terrible. And I whinge and I complain about everything under the sun. What just happened? Well, a million things could have happened. But something that might have been influential is how we arrived once we hit the car park before a song was sung. Our hard attitude, what we brought into that community, whether or not I'd done the personal work to get my own heart right with God. And so the Apostle Paul writes here to the church at Ephesus about guarding unity, but he says, ready yourself for it by getting your own house in order, by doing the own personal work in your own heart. And as you come then into the body of Christ with humility, with gentleness, with patience. That's going to be a game changer in terms of the experience you have in community. We guard unity by first looking at ourselves, yeah? We guard unity by staying conscious of who created it. This is the unity of the Holy Spirit we're talking about here. This is the unity of the Holy Spirit. So this isn't about us. I get it. Unity has benefits for us. It feels nice to be working well in a team. I like those feelings just like you do when there's that kind of chemistry with those you're doing life with where there's a lack of bickering and and fighting and gossip and all of that stuff. When that's minimised and the team's working well, everybody loves it. I get that. It's wonderful to be in an environment that feels cohesive when we're working alongside people who've done that deep work that we've just spoken of in verse 2. And consistently, we talked about this last week in the message, consistently display that in their lifestyle. They're much easier to do life with and it feels nice. Put simply, the people that have worked through verse 2 are better company when we get to verse 3. They're easy to be alongside But we can fall into the trap of thinking unity matters because disunity feels yucky. Disunity is awful. It doesn't feel at all nice. So therefore, let's not fight. Let's keep the peace because of how it makes us feel. The benefits we experience from it. You probably heard a slogan like this. 
Together, everyone achieves more. Team, right? We are a team. Together, everyone achieves more. And that kind of mantra carries football teams into success. Athletic teams, work situations. Together, everyone achieves more. It's that unity slogan. And we can cherry-pick people in a football or a work situation, and we can chase down the same goal. And if we have high-caliber people, it'll probably go well. But that's not Christian unity. That's nothing to do with Christian unity, actually. It has another stimulus altogether, a higher motivation. It's not just about what feels good. It's not just about achieving results. The church does well to honour unity because of who created it, because it is the unity of the Spirit of God. We are just stewards of it. We are guardians of it. We are not creators of it. I need to say that again. We just get to guard this. We don't create it. God's already created it. And this keeps unity from coming just a good idea. It's a commandment. Guard the unity of the Spirit. It's a commandment. It's not about whether we feel warm and fuzzy when we see someone or not. Sometimes we will, other times we won't. The shine will wear off in any relationship. And yet we guard unity because of who it belongs to. We honour it, we cherish it, we protect it because it belongs to the Spirit of the living God. We never ever, though, are to be credited with creating it. He already's done that. He's already made us one. And we just get to participate, to maintain, to keep that. But we don't create it. It's established. So Scripture doesn't ever say aim for unity. It says keep, maintain, guard what God has already given. Unity belongs to the Lord. He's gifted us with it. So what do we do? We steward what's been created, and we also guard unity, third point, by keeping focused on the big picture. We see this come through in verse 4 to 6 of our reading. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, John, I'm so glad you've mentioned that now, because the main thing, of course, is, drum roll, the colour of the carpet, right? I mean, this carpet is so inoffensive, isn't it? It'd be good to have some red or some green or some pink or some purple, something we could argue about. Who chose this carpet? (laughs) The Bible translations we use, is that the main thing? Unless you share my perspective on the King James Version, we cannot be in fellowship. Is it our view on eschatology? That if we don't share the same opinion about how the end times will unroll, then we can't be friends. Is it our musical style? You better love singing hymns or else it's over. (laughs) Really? Really? Are these the big ticket items that determine whether a church is godly or not? The carpet, the musical style, the version of the Bible, our eschatology are actually not... The main thing. Sadly, however, I'm sure if we went around the room this morning, we'd have story after story after story after story of churches that have divided over issues like that. So what is the main thing then, Jono? Well, in one word, I'm sure if you've been around church any length of time, your one word would be 
Jesus. Well done, Sunday school class. If ever you're in Sunday school and the teacher says, what's the answer to this? It's Jesus. Just go with that. You'll never be wrong. Well done, detective. Jesus. However, in the context of Ephesians 4, there's more for us than just that. There's seven ones mentioned here that are the foundation of Christian unity. One body, one spirit, one glorious hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Do you reckon that repetition is supposed to kind of make us stand up and take note? I think so. Seven ones. Eugene Peterson says, everything you are and think is to be permeated with oneness. Hey, I know that music style is important to you, but it doesn't make this list. If it did, we would have been playing a whole lot more Whiteheart this morning. <laughs> I know that went over most of your head. Either too old or too young for the comments, sorry. Someone will come up to me later and go, I know who Whiteheart is. You're my true brother. (laughs) I know what Bible translation is important to you, but it's not on the list. I know that eschatology is a really big deal in your mind, but it's not on the list. Apart from one glorious future, if you're going to say that's it. This list is actually pretty strange when we stop and look at it. Whoops, you're already there. One body, one spirit, one glorious hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Notice the things that divide churches. Strangely absent, aren't they? Off that list. We only need these seven in order to be unified. Now, certainly, if you're missing alignment in these areas, call triple O. You've got an emergency on your hands. You need, to, you need to arrest that because that is a problem. But I want to suggest that most of the time, it's not those things that we're arguing about. It's not those things that are dividing the people of God. And therefore, it would be wise from the outset to go into a church anticipating, I'm not going to agree with 100% of what goes on there. There's going to be some little things that are niggles. But I'm going to see the big picture. And I'm going to disagree even at times without being disagreeable, without making a nuisance of myself. One day whilst catching up with my mentor, mentor, Alan DeMond, in, uh, in Blackburn in Melbourne. He leads a large church there. I was talking to him about legacy. I asked a few of my mentors this same question At the one time, actually, I was trying to glean from them. What what do they think about legacy? What do they want to be remembered for? Turns out that none of them had really thought a whole ton about this question. But Alan gave me this reflection. He said, Joe, when I was young-ish in the church, like 20, he said, I looked at everyone in the church that was kind of 70 or older, and they'd either checked out or they were cranky. If they cared about what was going on, they were cranky about it. Or they just checked out, didn't care anymore. And he said, one of my aims, John, is when I reach that age, 
is to still be cheering on the next generation. Now, cranky, checked out, or cheering on? I wonder where you sit this morning. I think this idea of keeping the main things the main thing will play a key role in where you end up on that spectrum. Alan went on to say, in his mind now, maturity is shrinking the list that I have strong opinions about. He said, as I go older, that list becomes smaller and smaller. Maybe it resembles the Ephesians 4 list that we're speaking of today. That could be a word for someone here this morning. Stand back and reckon with the idea that the little things, the little things may not matter, may not be worth the fight as we keep the guardian of the unity of the spirit, our big idea. Church, it's okay. It's okay to have some differences here and there because unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean we're all the same. We all think the same on every little jot and tittle. That would be unrealistic to expect that. We are not striving for unity. We already have unity. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, some of you are looking at this list on screen, getting ourselves sorted out, staying conscious of who created it, keeping focused on the big things, the big picture. You're going to say, you're not teaching me anything new, Jono. I knew all that stuff. And yet still the church is divided many times. I know. Why is that? Well, let's unpack it real quick. We have churches that value the head, churches that value the heart, and churches that value the hands. Right? Let me just unpack each of those real quick. Heart or head, heart, hands. Remember those. Head, heart, hands. Hands, right? You might be able to think of denominational terms on each of those corners. I can quite easily, but I won't go there. We have churches that value the head. They're all about intellectual engagement. They're all about the sermon piece. They're all about the Bible is the word of God. Is that true? Of course it's true. But they've kind of only got this corner going on, right? Because We tend to treasure one of these corners. I'll go back to the big picture for a sec. We treasure one of these corners. This is what happens in churches. We tolerate another and we trash a third normally. It's extremely rare for a church to value all three of these at the same time. So we treasure one, we tolerate another, and we tend to trash a third. Now, unintentionally... I'm not saying there's any church of Jesus who's, who's intentionally, who's purposefully stepping out to dishonour one of these areas. They do so by neglect rather than willful effort. Churches of the head, heart and hands. The head, the slogan to come out of this camp, as I said, is the Bible is the word of God. They emphasise academic learning and they criticise the other camps. The heart is too emotional and the hands, they're the liberal mob down the road. See, they're critical of the other sides. Then we have churches of the heart. The main slogan to come out of this camp is experiencing the Spirit of God. This is a much more emotional church experience. 
in times past, no, some, not so much now because we're actually seeing these corners begin to come together, but certainly in, in times past, you could leave your brain at the door and you'd have a good time in this church. You didn't need to think. You didn't need to, to, to question or reason. You, you just was all about letting yourself go and experiencing the presence. Right? This, church, this church marks itself on how much the, the presence of God was felt when they met together. That's the win in this church. Did God show up is the kind of language they would use. They value ministry to people. They, they value people going from church feeling a touch from the Lord. Then we have churches that are the hands. Oh, sorry. That, that um, go back to heart. They're critical of the head because that, those churches are dead down the road that are just all about preaching. And they're, they're kind of critical of the hands being just charity movements. And then we have, moving on to uh, churches that value the hands. And the slogan, and if, if, there's, if there's any of these kind of corners that are growing, it's probably this. And it's a reaction against church just being a Bible study on a Sunday that actually does nothing, so I get that. So these churches have come up with slogans like this, let's not go to church, you're probably starting to hear this come out in our culture, let's not go to church, let's be the church, as though those things are enemies and can't be friends, right? Let's not go to church, let's be church. So they value service, they value practical works. They would say things like this, Christianity is not just following a set of beliefs, it's following Jesus, right, out into the world. And this church cares about refugees, and this church cares about the oppressed and the poor, and it's wonderful that they do. They are driving into the social issues of the culture. And the emphasis of this camp is their service. How much are we doing for God in the community. They don't actually care about Sunday gathering so much. Their whole emphasis and their whole value is placed around taking Christ to the world. They criticise the head as being fundamentalist and they criticise the heart as just being caught up on emotionalism. And they legitimise themselves as being a church that really cares. Looking at the whiteboard, what are we going to do about this? My whiteboard marker's gone. <laughs> Could um, someone grab me one? There's some in the office there. Oh, no, it's here. Don't worry. Never fear. <laughs> the problem with... The problem with this is this doesn't only represent denominations. It represents people. It represents you. I was going to go, who, big cheer for the head people, and we're not going to do that today. <laughs> to determine which category you fitted into. But guess what? All these people are here, and they should be. If you have to go to another church to get some engagement with the Holy Spirit, we're missing out. If you have to go to another church to, to have some kind of feeling that we're doing some good in the community, there's something wrong. 
If you have to go to another church in order to hear the Bible taught deeply, there's something profoundly wrong with that picture. It's supposed to be under the one roof because this is the New Testament church, friends. This isn't a denomination. This isn't a person. This is the New Testament church. It's all in your Bibles. Read the book of Acts. You'll see it all. There's, there's solid biblical teaching. There's engagement with the Holy Spirit. And there's outreach into their communities. It's a New Testament church. We got talked about balance in our song this morning. So I'm going to hopefully not contradict that. I'm just going to provide a different definition of how we arrive there. Because we've thought in the past, well, what we'll do in order to be a balanced church, in order to be a 10 out of 10 in the middle here, where we've got this perfect balance, what we'll do, hopefully you can see over there what I'm doing, we'll go 3.3 of this. We'll go 3.3 of this. Now 3.4, we need to make up 10. And 3.3 of this, and we will make up what? A 10 in the middle. That's not how you get balance. That's how you get mediocrity. That's asking people that are a 10 to tone down. They're not meant to tone down. God has given them to this body to bring it. You're asking people over here that are a 10 to tone down. They're not meant to tone down. God has gifted them to outreach into our community. Without them, we won't do it. We're not meant to tone down. We're meant to raise it up. So therefore, if you recognise this and you go, wow, yeah, okay, I'm a heart person. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. God has great plans for my life. I have no idea what Jeremiah 29 as a passage is about. <laughs> then you need to develop a deeper theology and you need to grow here. So you might be a 10 here and you might be only a 3 here. So you know what you've got to work on, right? You don't turn this down. You lift this up. Is it making sense? If you know you're a hands person, you're 10 out of 10 here, but you haven't read your Bible in three months, you've got a problem. Go home and read your Bible. It's supposed to fuel your service, your walk with God, your intimacy with Jesus. If you're this person, if you're 10 out of 10 here, but you've never ever driven down the road and felt a whisper of the Holy Spirit, you're missing out. You're missing out. He wants to be intimate with you in that way. And you need to grow here. And as we commit to growing in all of these areas, we will become a balanced church. But you know what I call this part here? I don't call it balance. I call it the messy middle. <laughs> Why did I come to Axis Church? Can I fast forward to that slide? Sorry, I feel emotional. I saw potential for the middle. I saw potential for the messy middle here. Like when I visited in August, I saw, I think this church can make the middle. I think this church values these things to such a degree that we might arrive there. Does that mean we're 10 out of 10 at now? No way. Does that mean we'll ever be 10 out of 10? Uh-uh. But does it mean we can grow? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Does it mean we can be a unified body of Christ? Yes, absolutely. But it's as we value all three of these things, and it's as people who 
identify their corner, and we're talking about this tonight. We'll be workshopping this a little. As you identify where you are, then you can identify where you need to grow. And do that. Don't be freaked out by going, ooh, if I hang out with these people, am I going to get contaminated with some kind of... No, no, no. Your faith will get deep and you'll experience God. That's, did you see what was the centerpiece of that picture up there? How we experience God. We experience God more when we move into the other corners, when we identify what he's naturally given me, because he's naturally given us one of these at least. Probably two of these resonate with you immediately. There'll be one on here that looks spooky. There'll be one on here that looks a bit heavy. There'll be one on here that looks a bit freaky. Does that mean I've got to leave my church community and go out and talk to people that aren't? Yes, it does. <laughs> but what an opportunity to grow. I didn't leave my hometown of 45 years because I thought it would be a good idea. I left because Jesus called. And... I have great potential in presenting this in upsetting somebody here this morning. (laughs) Well, guess what? I was hoping to upset you all. In a good way. Because I don't want you to be comfortable. I don't want me to be comfortable. I want us to grow. I want us to press into God in such a way that we see where the next step of growth is and we're pressing, doing our utmost to press in and go deeper in Him. I invite the music team forward as we close. God, thank you that you are so big and we can't put you in a box, even if we try. Your intellect is so much bigger than we could possibly comprehend. Your heart is so deep. Lord, and your hands reach so wide. And we just stare today. Would you stand with me as I pray? We dare today to stand here as a church united, saying we will be a church that values the Bible. We will be a church that's open to the Holy Spirit. And we will be a church that cares about people who aren't even here yet. Because that's the church of the living God. And that's who we are. And all the people said...